Pump up the volume on your parenting with Parent Pump Radio. Tune into something different that makes a difference. At Parent Pump Radio, instead of a ripple, we choose to create a splash. Get energized, get inspired, and get informed with how to parent in the new millennium. With your host and parent coach super guide, Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. Hi, this is Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. We're here to pump up your parenting skills, pump up your knowledge, pump up your energy. Welcome to Parent Pump Radio. Our show is available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and syndicated on missionsradio.org and oneideaaway.com. Subscribe to our RSS feed so you'll be automatically notified of new shows. And if you're looking for a speaker for your organization or event, please go to my website at integrativeminds.com to learn more about what I offer. And then contact me at info at integrativeminds to schedule a meeting time. And we are continuing our monthly family financial freedom workshop here live in the city of Torrance in Los Angeles. You can also live stream it on Facebook. This workshop, as well as the theme to Parent Pump Radio this year, is geared to help families learn, act, and implement strategies to become financially free. And all the information about our monthly program is in the show notes. Credit's really important to everybody, and I want to introduce our guest for today. She is a nationally recognized expert in consumer credit reporting and debt negotiation. She analyzes credit reports and offers programs for clients to teach them how to resolve most credit reporting issues quickly so they can learn to develop high FICO scores and wisely manage their credit. She is a former columnist for Done Deal Publications, and her articles have been published nationally. She currently co-hosts Froster's Radio. She's also a feature guest for Channel 10 WTSB Tampa St. Pete and is the owner of Credit Education Consultant. So ladies and gentlemen, no further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Lori Zock. Hi, Lori. Hi, Jacqueline. How are you? I'm very good. So you are an expert of hosting because I know you also host a World of Lori Zock variety show and a nationally syndicated half-empty, half-full consumer advocacy radio show. Well, yeah, actually, believe it or not, I started out a few years ago co-hosting a radio show with a friend of mine who was a realtor. And when he stopped doing it, the guys at the station kept saying to me, why don't you do the one on a show on consumer advocacy? Because that's what you're always talking about. And that's what people call me about. Even with credit, they call me for help on all kinds of things. So they kind of talked me into doing the half empty, half full show. And I did that for about a year and a half and where it was a lot of fun. But what made it really simple was when people would call me about a specific topic, I did 75 shows. So I probably covered that topic <laughs> and I would go, wait. Instead of spending two hours on the phone explaining it to you, let me send you the radio podcast with my guest expert and their contact info at the end. And boy, did that cut a lot of time down for me, and it helped those consumers. And then uh, litigation consultant Storm Bradford, who owns Mortgage Fraud Examiners, who I've known for years, called me and said, hey, let's do another consumer advocacy show, you know, and we'll get guests. And so I said, let's call it Fraudsters Radio, my favorite topic. And so we've been doing that since May of last year. So I have to say, really enjoy doing it because we get a lot of good guests, like from the FBI and the IRS and attorneys and detectives. Ooh. And yeah. And so that's how I know so much about fraud is because I've read a lot about it. I deal with it, you know, with credit clients and I've had a lot of guests that fill in information. So 
yeah, definitely a lot of fun. Yeah, I think with the world of the internet, it's one of those uh, bittersweet, right? It's great to get information and stay connected to people, but the chance of you getting your identity stolen is so much higher. And not just identity, it, it's everything. It's credit card. Uh, it's skyrocketing. And it, and it's kind of scary because your personal information, oh my gosh, I mean, when you hear about all the companies where data has been breached, even, even like the credit bureau, these big stores, these big financial outfits, um, th- somebody has hacked into their system and all of a sudden, all those thousands of social security numbers, names, addresses, and phones are out on the black market or the black web, as they call it. Um, I will tell you that I am a victim of identity theft. I have been too. Mine, back in 2010, it was actually a friend's son's friend's girlfriend who I didn't know was on drugs. I had parked in the, in the driveway, taken my dog out to do his, her business real quick and came back. And this woman who I just had met maybe once or twice before, I thought she was going to the door. Well, no, she took my purse, probably the only time I've ever left my car unlocked <laughs> for five seconds. And she stole my purse. And wow. so that started um, an ongoing battle for the last eight, almost nine years of things happening with my credit. You know, I think the average ID theft person spends like 60 hours dealing with this kind of a problem. So it's a big problem. Yeah. And what I found out recently, I was at my dentist's office and my hygienist was saying that she just got the identity theft and supposedly someone hacked into her email address and they had gotten any information that you attach, any documents that you attach, they, I guess, can get into that. Yes. And then they took out credit cards. And when the credit card companies were sending emails notifying her, whoever hacked in your account would delete these emails. So she didn't even know these things. And then I guess one of these email, uh, they forgot to delete or they didn't get to it. And she was like, what? What's going on? And she called that credit card company and they said, yeah, you've been charging. And she was dealing that day while she was chewing my teeth. Not while she was doing it, but <laughs> yeah. you know, I saw her on the phone and she was telling me, yeah, she had to shut down her email account altogether. Right. Because people do that. And recently that happened to a family member of mine who um, went onto the computer and saw an email. They're getting trickier now. It looked like it was from Amazon stating that uh, someone had made a purchase under her email. Yep. And if she did not make that purchase to click on the attachment. Yep. Now, the mistake was she didn't look at the, at the email that it came from because it was not from Amazon. It was one of those that had Amazon in it. Right. And so she got fooled. And what happened was it let somebody into her computer. Fortunately, though, she uses a service where they called in. It was an expensive mistake, probably about $300 to get it fixed. But that person was able to access all of her email information. So imagine if she hadn't called right away. You know, if people store passcodes or passwords right, right. and confidential information on their computers. That's a common problem. And, and the other one is with um, the realtors right now are getting hit when it comes to closing where the title company will send a document the hacker gets into the realtor's email, alters that document, and changes the wiring number and the phone number. So it's no longer the phone number of the title company, although the client thinks that. But the wiring number, it's usually going to somewhere like Nigeria. And the scary part about that 
is the banks right now, there's really no liability if that happens. It's, and, the, and I know someone, uh, actually a, a neighbor's mother lost $135,000 by doing that. So you have to be, yeah, I could tell you all kinds of stories, PayPal, all kinds of things. You've got to be really sharp and up to date because as smart as you think you are, the criminals are becoming smarter. But isn't PayPal secure? Well, I'll tell you the quick PayPal story. Okay. Uh, probably about three weeks ago, I opened up a third PayPal uh, um, email, a third account, because as a victim of identity theft, I don't want all my money in one account. If something happens, it all gets wiped out and it could take weeks to get that money back. So I feel if I spread it out between three banks, I've got a better chance of not getting hit. So I opened up this third PayPal account. I set it up properly. And then one day, and I, I got my first transaction into that account and I had a question on it because it said they were holding the money because it was a new account. Now, keep in mind, I've had two other PayPal accounts for many years. You would think that if you've had two long-term, the third one would be the same. You wouldn't be holding any money. And so from my phone, instead of my desktop, I just, you know, I said PayPal phone number. And so it came up with two or three identical listings and on the first listing, which looked exactly like the other two, it had a toll-free number. What was odd, the red flags were there. The, a person answered the phone. Okay, PayPal does not answer the phone. They have an automated system where you have to you know, press buttons or hold to get through to somebody. And so my next mistake was I said, PayPal? And the guy goes, yes, this is PayPal. How can I help you? Oh. And I'm still not thinking, right? And I said, um, well, I have this third email and I want to know why you're holding my funds. And so the guy says to me, well, what's now PayPal would have said to me, which email address? So I gave him the email address and then he, he said, well, I need you. I'm going to, um, text you a code that you're going to have to enter into your screen. And I'm going, wait a minute. and thinking to myself, PayPal doesn't do that. They have access. They don't need my password. So now my brain, even though it's morning, I'm going, something's not right. Well, I'm, I'm sitting now at my desktop and I see an email come through from PayPal and it said, did you, are, did you just change your password if you did not call this number? Well, I quickly, before I got off the phone, the guy's in the background telling me, oh no, don't change your passcode. Don't change your passcode. Let me give you my number. And some guy is yelling at him the phone number with an 833 area code. And I'm going, this doesn't sound right at all. Wow. Why does the guy not know his own phone number? So I immediately hung up on him. He kept calling back. And meantime, I was able to somehow go into my three PayPal accounts and I was able to change my passwords. Now, the, the kicker to this story is that in, in calling PayPal to try to alert them to what happened, well, now I get the real one where they answer with the, you know, the, the automatic message. And, and so I press one and for, a, for a person and it says, it will take 90 minutes to 120 minutes for someone to call you back. Press one for the automatic callback. So I do that. Two, so a couple hours later, my phone rings. I pick up the call and it gets dropped from the other side. Now, meantime, I'm actually calling my three banks to ask them what I have to do. And none of them seemed all that knowledgeable. I was actually pretty nervous that none of them really seemed to know what to do because PayPal is not really a bank. It's glo It's global. So um, I'm thinking, oh, you know, what do I do? So I now dial back and another two hours go by. And finally, I get a guy and I explained, I think my account is maybe debited right now that, you know, some guy was able to access my account, read me the transaction in the name without a password. He could see into my account. And the guy goes, hold on, I have to transfer you to the fraud department. 
Well, 45 minutes later, they disconnect me after I've been holding. So can you imagine how stressful that was? I can't even get PayPal to help me. So finally, the last part of it is I go online to PayPal's Facebook page and I go to their chat. And so I'm chatting with a bot. And finally, I kept saying, customer service representative, agent, operator, real person. It was like, you know, now it's four hours later, I'm picturing bad things happening. And finally, a real person gets on the line, but doesn't speak good English. I've already explained the whole thing. She's, she's not getting it. So finally, a supervisor did get on and he was very apologetic. And I said, it shouldn't take me four hours. If I think my PayPal account is being debited, that means they could access my banking information. That's what I was worried about when you want money. And so he said, no, you change your passwords. You're fine. Um, That was pretty much it. But I did call back PayPal the next day. I got someone in the fraud department and, and they like they didn't even seem to care. It seemed to be like a common thing. Now, now, the funnier part of the story is three days later, I have a friend that's out in California, probably not too far from you, uh, and she's an attorney. And she calls me up out of the blue and goes, hey, I have to tell you this funny story. She goes, I went on my phone and I said PayPal and I called this toll-free number and I got some guy who was trying to scam me with gift cards and wiring money. And so, you know, she must have called the same number I called. Yeah, yeah. So it makes me wonder how PayPal is really go- helping people. They're, they're not. And so you have to watch out. Next day, I drove to all three banks and I made sure that everything was fine and they did whatever they had to do. That, so you can see, though, how they can outsmart you. They can try and outsmart you, and then you can't necessarily get help from the company that should be helping you. And like you said, it takes hours because you don't know how far deep it goes. Exactly. And like I said, once it leaves the country and it goes to Nigeria or one of these foreign countries, uh, I've spoken, we actually interviewed the FBI on Fraudsters Radio, and they basically, Sky basically said, we don't have enough people to help. That's why we like to do shows so that people will hear about it. But we just don't have enough people. And so that's part of the message from our doing the show and from you doing a show is to let people know you need to check your bank. I check my bank accounts every single day. I get alerts from my bank accounts. I get alerts from my credit cards whenever I make a transaction, whenever I've made a payment. And that's how I do my best to keep track of what's happening. Tell us how our personal information can be compromised. What can they do with it? Oh, they can do lots of things. Well, obviously, they can open up credit cards. They can open up credit lines. Uh, Actually, my very first credit client 12 years ago, she was a a victim in a way of identity theft because on her credit report, it showed two names. It was was the same first and last name with a a, a different middle initial. And this woman had never bought a house, was going to be a first-time home buyer. And there were 10 houses that were foreclosed upon. Okay. Now it actually wasn't identity theft. It was a merged file, but it's treated the same way when you go to solve it as identity theft. But can you imagine looking at your credit report, seeing 10 foreclosed houses? And so I did a little tracking and the other woman with this almost same name was actually a criminal and was in jail. You said merge file. Tell us more about that. Yeah. A merge file. When you have your credit pulled by your name, your address, your social security, your date of birth, you think it's only pulling up your information, but the credit bureau's databases actually search for similar information. It's especially common with men if they're junior, senior, or the third. Um, Again, one of my clients a long time ago had a common name. He lived in an apartment next to someone with the same last name. And their credit reports 
had each other's information on it. But I've also seen it with completely different names. So you have to look at your credit report. The very first thing I look at is the personal information. I want to see the names, the name variations. If it's a common name, you know, if, if, if someone has a common name and I Google it and there's 100 people with that name and they're telling me that some of the credit lines are not theirs or if they have multiple social security numbers, um, you know, sometimes it's a child's social security number because if they've had medical care. But if I see a lot of socials, if I see addresses, states they've never listed, you know, never lived in, either it's a merge file or it's identity theft. But the way you usually know it's identity theft is, is the person starts getting phone calls from debt collectors uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, or yep. Or their mail, no longer their bills, no longer come to their house and they can't figure out what's going on. You know, so other ways that your identity can be compromised, compromised are through uh, credit cards, debit cards used by you know, restaurant personnel, for example. Oh. Um, here's one you'll, you'll laugh at. It's funny, but not funny. Uh, years ago in New York, somebody put up next to a major bank's ATM, this tall machine, and it said to clean your ATM card, swipe here. Uh. And so <laughs> all these people thought, hey, I'm going to clean my card, you know, swipe my card. And whoever had that equipment out there did that. Um, I'm in the Tampa area. And for years, one of the problems here is that the bad guys go and put these fake keyboards, I guess, over the gas station keyboards where you punch in your code and they get the information that way. So when I go to the gas station, I'm always like moving it just to see. And I also cover it. But people can also buy devices, which I think might be legal at this point. I don't know. Um, But I saw a video where someone had a device uh, in in their pocket. And when the person in front of them checked out, I think it was at a Walmart, and they pressed the four digits, you know, for their their PIN number. This this device they had showed the thermal yes, imprint, I heard so about you that. could tell. Right. Yeah, you could see what the order of the numbers was pressed in by how hot to cold they were, and that's another way. So you know, the scary part is that um, I think most people their ID. Their, their, their social security number is probably on the dark web. Just assume that at this point, that's how you have to treat it. You know, and I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself, but one of the things you can pr- do to protect yourself is do a security freeze on your credit reports. It may still be free or if it's not, it's cheap, but they lock down, each bureau locks down your credit so that things can't happen. And you put your cell phone number on that so that if somebody tries to open credit in your name, 99% of lenders are actually going to call that phone number to make sure that it's you. And that's why it's so important. You don't just pull your credit once a year. Uh, and especially if you're a victim, you really need to monitor it. And people use services like LifeLock, and they're going to send you a heck of a, heck of a lot of notifications. But if you are a victim, you better be looking at those notifications because you don't want to get wiped out credit-wise or money-wise. What was that service you just said? LifeLock? LifeLock. Yep. That's one of the services. Life. So is it LifeLock.com? Yep. LifeLock.com. What are the companies are good then to monitor your credit? As far as monitoring your credit, well, it depends on your purpose. So let me start with what's not good. Okay. What's, what's not good because the first question every client who ever calls me for help says is my credit karma scores said, everybody uses credit karma. And I heard that's actually not accurate. It's not at all. <laughs> They'll go, my score was 650. But when my lender pulled it, my mortgage you know, lender pulled it, it was 
it was 600, there's a 50 point, there's a 100 point, there's a 75 point difference. Well, that's because Credit Karma does not use FICO scores. They use a different model called Vantage scores. Most lenders do not use Vantage scores. They use FICO scores. The other thing is Credit Karma only shows TransUnion and Equifax and Experian is not on there. So if you have um, a credit line, it might report to one, two, or all three bureaus. But if it's only reporting to Experian, you're not going to see it on Credit Karma. And then surprise, when you go to buy a house or, or go for a car loan, all of a sudden something's on Experian, you got a problem. So that one is, is good for alerts, but not for scores. It's not very accurate. Now, if you just want to monitor your credit, you know, you're not going out to buy anything, a couple of things. Once a year, you can pull through annualcreditreport.com. And it's actually, they're very high security. If you can't pass the security questions, they mail it to you. You can do that once a year. It does not show any scores, just the reports. But if you're a victim of ID theft, you can actually do it three times a year. The problem with the free one is it's so difficult to read that I, who have been reading credit reports for 12 years, look at it and go, what the heck is this? They do not make it um, user-friendly at all. And of course, I think that's intentional. They don't want people to really know how it works. Now, if you just want to, there are plenty of credit monitoring services. Like my, most of my clients, I refer them to one called creditsesame.com. Credit Sesame makes it really simple. They have a simple layout. Um, but they, again, they're probably just using FICO consumer scores. And so why is that important? Well, FICO has different scoring models for different industries. So there's a FICO model, a FICO um, number for credit cards. There's one for mortgages. There's one for insurance. There's one for credit card lending or for car lending. They have a whole bunch of different FICO scores, and that's how FICO makes their money. So if you're not buying a house and you just want to make sure, you know, Credit Sesame, I think that's a fairly inexpensive one and it does show you the alerts and it is fairly accurate, but consumer FICO scores mean nothing because a lender is going to use a specific FICO score. So it's just kind of a baseline for you to see how things change. Now, if you want the real FICO scores, if you have a lender pull your credit, it's points off of your score. But if you are pulling your own credit, you can use uh, MyFICO, M-Y-F-I-C-O.com. That's owned by the FICO company. It, I think it runs about 40 bucks a month right now. Sometimes they run specials. But that will show you different industries, FICO scores, including mortgage lending. But it's a membership, though. Yeah, well, yeah, you can subscribe, but you can cancel as long as you call. You know, if, if you sign up, I've seen it where they have a one-time pull for X amount of dollars. I, they change their site frequently, then then they might charge you $40 a month and you can cancel within 30 days. So I might do it two or three times a year just to make sure because yes, I have Credit Karma and yes, I have Credit Sesame, but I want to see what's on the My FICO and where my real FICO scores are. Um, and again, they do send alerts and those alerts are important to look at. So then if you do have an ID theft, how can you resolve it? Because that sounds like it's a nightmare too with a credit bureau. Well, it, it can be. And the best way to handle it is, is first off, you take your credit report, print it up. Now, this can be a little hard. You're supposed to go to the police station and get a police report number. The uh, You don't really need the report. You need the report number. Unfortunately, a lot of police departments don't like to be bothered with this. So they'll say no. But you can insist and say, hey, my, my identity was stolen. 
at least do a miscellaneous items report and give me that report number. Why? Because you can go to the Federal Trade Commission's website, ftc.gov, and from there you will can search out for the identity theft affidavit. You need to read the directions and then fill it out to the best of your knowledge. So if you don't know when your information was stolen, you would write, I don't know. You know, don't make something up. But you have to make sure if you know those things are not yours, once you've completed that document and you've put the um, police report number in there and you filled it out, then you have to sign it in front of a notary and include the two forms of ID that are in the directions. And then you send it out to each credit bureau. And what they do is they block those items or they should be blocking those items within 30 days of receipt and then notifying you back that those items have been blocked. So that at that point, if you get to that point, then it, you, the next thing you should do is either the life lock or the security freeze. And if you do the security freeze, you have to call each bureau and they give you a, a password or a PIN number so you can never lose it. And what happens like me, if I go to go to a lender, I have to remember, I have to call the lender and say, well, which one are you pulling? Are you pulling all three or are you just pulling Equifax? We're just pulling Equifax, they'll say. Uh, okay, so then I contact Equifax and I'll say, you know, can you uh, release my release my credit for a two hour period, for a ten hour period, for a two day period, until that lender can actually pull it, and then they automatically lock it back up. And so it's kind of a pain, but the truth is, I think it should be mandatory due to the amount of yes. identity theft that goes yes, around. Definitely, I think you should have to have it. It would it would it would stop a lot of the bad stuff from right, happening. Right, you have a tip to tell us about predatory. Can you give us that tip? Well, yes. Okay. Now my, my, my little secret tip is this. You can opt out of predatory credit card offers from credit card companies because they buy lists of people with, you know, subpar credit scores. And if you opt out, it'll stop you from getting those credit cards that you're really not going to qualify for. And you're just going to take, you know, hard hit inquiries and get points off that way. Uh, but doing this can also raise your score a few points. So I'm going to read you the website slowly, just in case anyone's listening and they want to opt out. It's HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash. And then it's www.optoutoptprescreenprescreen.com forward slash question mark. And then in lowercase r. F equals T. They can also just Google opt out credit bureaus and it should come up. And what you want to do is the form, not online, do the actual form where you print it up and you mail it in. Uh, I believe one of the bureaus may send you back another form to fill out. That's fine. Fill out that form that will opt you out of those predatory offers. And then it may raise your score a couple extra points. Just from opting opting out. Just from opting wow. out. Okay. Yes. So then you won't get any more of those mail. Well, you won't get any that were, were purchased through the credit bureau. You may still get them in the mail, um, you know, because the credit bureaus may have, I'm sorry, the, the credit card companies may just do random ones. Okay. But from the lender itself, but not from predatory ones. Got it. R right. So you're avoiding being hit with those, those hard inquiries. So when you go to a lender and they pull credit, FICO really doesn't tell you the scoring model on most things. But I can tell you that a hard hit is two to five points, best guesstimate. So lenders, when you go to apply and they see that you've had 20 inquiries, if 20 inquiries are two to five points, 
that can be a lot of points and it can drop your score down. So real quick, even though this is a little off topic, uh, if you go to a car dealership and you, and you go to the finance guy and you've negotiated out your best deal, their next thing is, hey, let me shop you around for the best rate. Well, they're not really shopping you around because uh, they know the first time what your scores are and they usually pull Equifax. What they do is they shop you around the 10 or 20 lenders and that can take up to, you know, uh, that could take, say, 50 points off your score. And now your FICO score has dropped down and you're going to be in the next highest interest rate category. So your choices are either go to your bank where they only pull it once or be like crazy credit, Lori, and print up your my FICO and walk in with it and show it to the, you know, to the, the auto finance guy. And I have them sign off saying they will only pull my credit one time because I have very high scores. There's no reason to shop me around. So you have to be careful because that's how they can keep knocking your scores down. And then the lower the score, you're paying a lot. And most people have no idea how interest rate amortize, you know, how the amortization works and they pay a fortune. Wow. So many great tips and uh, situations. You know, we don't realize what kind of situations out there that are happening. We think, oh, someone just took a credit card out or got my number and that's it. So I didn't even know about the PayPal. So thank you. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. Do you want to hear one more? Really quick. I'll give you a quick one. This one only happened last year. So my auto insurance company actually called me on the phone and said, do you know someone with the name? And they gave me a name of somebody. And I said, you know, I don't. It rings a bell. It might have been a former tenant of mine because uh, I live in the house now that I used to rent. And and I said, why? And, and she said, well, she's trying to add herself on to your your auto insurance policy. And I went, what? The some Someone I don't know or maybe a part. That would be crazy. And I said, please don't do that. Well. I then had to call the, the Division of Motor Vehicles here, and they had to send me a special letter to carry in my car if I ever got pulled over. Meantime, I found the woman, the, I guess she's a teenager now, on Facebook, and I sent her a message and said, why are you trying to add yourself on? Because she was in Texas, and I'm in Florida. And she goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. I was a, I was a kid when my parents rented that house from you. And she goes, I don't drive, and I don't have car insurance. So somebody got her information and then tried to add themselves onto my policy. So it's an ongoing thing once you've been hit. Sounds like it. Wow. Okay. So Lori's website is crediteducationconsultantswithans.com. And all the contact is in the show notes. Thank you so much, Lori, for being here today. Thank you, Jacqueline. I had a great time. I appreciate it. And this week's quote is from Mark Twain. He says, keep away from people who try to belittle your ambitions. Small people always do that, but they're really great. Make you feel that you too can become great. Thank you, listeners. And we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us today. Go to parentpumpradio.com and click on the pink box on the top of our homepage to listen to our new and archived shows. To be instantly notified of new episodes, subscribe to our RSS feed. The RSS feed button is located at the top of the page where all our shows are featured. And after listening to the show, go to parentpumpradio.com or our Facebook page to leave your comments, questions, and topic suggestions. And while you're at our website, sign up to receive a free gift. Until next time, have a wonderful week.